Hello, welcome back to Portrait Africa. It's your host, Akiandi Adirili, and we welcome our guests from all over the world and all over the African continent. We've had the pleasure of sitting down with a few awesome guests over the course of the year, and we held some of those interviews until now to share with you in the holiday season. This particular interview is with Dario Giuliani. He's the founder of Brighter Bridges, which infographs and categorizes and presents information about capital flow into startups on the African continent. It's a fantastic website to follow, and we really enjoyed interviewing him. Please enjoy this interview, and we look forward to hearing from you. Save Africa. Welcome to Pod 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 Save Africa. Welcome. Hello, welcome back to Port Save Africa. It's your host, Akande Adirili, and I have the great pleasure of being here with Dario from Brighter Bridges. Um, Dario, how about you give yourself, give us a full introduction, including the pronunciation of your last name. I didn't say it just now because I, I, I wanted to just guess, but I didn't want to get it wrong. Thanks. Um, yeah, so I'm Dario Giuliani. I run a company called Brighter Bridges. Um, initially started as a magazine to showcase the the brighter side to what they call underserved markets and, and, and the meaning behind this is essentially that i am uh, very convinced of the fact that knowledge is what is really behind the opportunity the fact the very the very uh, fact of knowing something about something at all in sort of incentivizes you to 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 take action about it right and so we can apply this to business to art to to, to everything so the idea behind brighter which initially was called Brighter Magazine, was effectively to showcase the, the brighter, the more analytical, the more positive, the more sort of uh, realistic side of what was happening across these underserved markets. Initially actually started in Manila. Um, yeah. Yeah, funnily enough, Brighter was founded, not as a company, but as a magazine in Manila. Um, because you know, I don't know if you've been working with uh, the startup ecosystem in Asia, but it's 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 phenomenal, and it's it's very vibrant, it's very it's very fast paced, and and that's where I actually started putting together a few notions that then led to the creation of the magazine. What happened? I moved to East Africa for a few months, and that's where I really started sort of grinding with um with the magazine and the content about startup um, and and technology really in in general, social economic impact across across Africa, and that's how. That's how Brighter Bridges came into being. This was basically the time where, a bit, let's say, sort of serendipitously, I started doing these maps. There were very much a content for the magazine, so there was no grand scheme behind these maps. And uh, I ended up essentially turning the maps into, all the maps ended up turning themselves into what uh, became Brighter's first real um, product and first real flagship content and then sort of uh, rode the wave of this and last year we started the construction of 
what we just released, which is a, an intelligence platform, which is a data platform that effectively digitizes all the data collection and data visualization work. Mm -hmm. Took a while to be put together, self-funded. Um, we, we bootstrapped the, the company. I always make the joke that our startup funded our other startup. <laughs> uh, so Brighter Bridges basically funded the first product internally. And we, and that's where we are at right now. This is what Brighter is uh, effectively today. Who we work with, um, anyone really who is, has an interest in uh, learning more about the business ecosystem in, in, on the continent, mainly Africa right now. And um, yeah, so and anyone from, from academia to development finance institutions of VC really, we work with uh, quite a variety of, of a diverse pack of clients, and and this is this is brightest so far. Excellent, excellent. And and just to say to the listeners, um, I think my first, I probably saw a brighter map for the first time maybe twenty beginning of twenty nineteen. I was like, holy moly, this is such juicy information. So I hop on your website and I sign up for like five or six different reports just so I can get them in my email. But like, I mean, the delivery style is just so wonderful in my opinion. Um, I think, and I look, you know, I came from an architecture background, so design and all that infographic stuff. I love to look at it. It's my favorite form of receiving information. So um, just to the listeners, they have like a, um, I think I was reading a Forbes article that compared it to like Tableau um tableau mis mixed with crunch base and, and that's probably fairly accurate like extremely informative at the same time very visually appealing so um you guys are doing excellent work just kind of starting there um now you know you you mentioned that you've you've spent time in the uh, well, first first question where did you live in uh in east africa if you don't mind so i've been spending time mainly in nairobi okay uh, i've i've um let's say i've worked across uganda rwanda Kenya, spent some time in Dar es Salaam, not really spent a week in, in Dar es Salaam with people we've collaborated with. Uh, but yeah, let's say most of the countries across East Africa, even though my first experience I have to say was in uh, Accra. Accra, really? Okay. In, uh, yeah, it was in uh, 2016. Okay. So I went to Accra and at the time I was actually running sort of a a magazine that was probably the grandfather of writer. <laughs> and, uh, and there was a magazine and, and, and through that, we actually even set up our YouTube channel. There are probably three, four interviews that we, that we did in, uh, in Accra back in the day, 2016. And then that thing sort of collapsed and led to sort of, sort of from the ashes of that. Right. <laughs> that's, that's how writers sort of rose. Excellent. Excellent. So just kind of, you know, looking at, you know, you spent time analyzing, looking at data on the African continent. Um, what's your, just let's start with the overall, the, the grand picture. If you would say, you know, here's my perspective on investing in Africa, um, specifically the, the, you know, VC funding, you know, emerging market funding, all of that coming into the continent, you know, the numbers look great. You know, I think I was reading a report that said, what was it, over $1.2 billion inflowing into the continent last year, um, you know, so 600 something innovation or tech hubs on the continent. I mean, that looks fantastic. I looked at those numbers and I was like, wow, this is great. I'm moving back tomorrow, you know, but, um, but um, I really love your overall perspective and all these different parts and pieces coming together currently. And um, yeah. I mean, it's quite a $1 million questions that I was always try to sort of. Uh, um, many, I think, I think one could start from, from many points from the bullish 
side and then the more sort of critical side i guess especially when you come from from a western um point of view um where you come from very advanced cities very advanced systems uh as as if you have a bit of a business mind and a bit of a sort of creator mind you can see how many things can actually be done uh not just in across in technology but you know packaging cold chain logistics yeah. pavements you know first thing i thought when i was uh, still a student and and coming and walking in a crowd i was like why are there no payment pavement you know right. Like, well, why can I not properly safely uh, walk on the side of the street? This is not everywhere, um, but there are several issues like this. And if you amplify this, basically, to, 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 to several other categories from digital payments to the supply chain for any type of good, um, the tariff or the, the pricing. One, one of the things that I'm most keen on, on, on learning about is the pricing system. A lot of sort of arbitrary pricing systems out there, which yeah. I guess the technology technologies now is uh, and and more regulation is now helping to to sort of regulate and 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 make more transparent, right? So I think first of all, in terms of investing, in terms of really doing stuff, there's there's a lot that needs to be done, and a lot of uh, sectors that do not have uh, several players, in, in you know, not least my own sector right the research and the data there are a few players uh but you could probably count them on you know on one hand yeah. and uh the, the real player that are doing that are doing data collection and they're all let's say in a global scale they're very they're all very small we're all very pretty small um you can see some interest starting you know coming from from the larger organization especially in, in the data space uh, but still, it's very much, uh, I think in, in the business school, they call it blue ocean. They call it like sort of, there's still, there's still a lot of, there's still a lot of opportunity that can be, that people can tap into. And I guess one of the trends that I'm seeing a lot is the, is the, so, so the arrival of the, of the corporates. There is a lot of corporate capital, um, the venture arms is effectively the corporates that are entering the, the ecosystem all across Africa. Uh, so African corporates or international corporates that are starting to play the game or sort of uh, the M&A game with, with startups or simply the venture game uh, where they fund when they fund organizations so what, what, what one of the trend is is this the corporate venture coming from everywhere we just released last month a, a map that sort of summarizes um, some of the investment that's come from uh, Japanese Asian sort of Taiwanese Chinese Korean capital, and then um, there's been a huge wave of that, right? Asian, huge, huge, yes. And but especially like we at Brighter, we let's say we analyze specifically this SME and, and startup space. I mean, if one start looking into infrastructure, and then one can enter a rabbit hole of criticism around that, and we leave right. it to another podcast. But there is significant amount of money that is going into 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 several sectors really from the supply chain to to mobility to energy um real estate right um roads you know airports big 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 big, big project especially that that's where we see a lot of capital coming from from asia right. um and then on the same side and 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 and, and yeah i'd say 
what I what, what we are seeing is the shift from the sort of development paradigm. So the uh, assisting developing countries, right? Helping, uh, you know, third foreign aid being shifted towards more sustainable type of uh, agendas and and and, and um, sort of narrative. Okay. And a lot of donors have started putting money into private companies because they see the sustainability of private companies as opposed to probably projects that are bound to last three to five years and then disappear, right? So we've seen a lot of that, you know, anywhere from, from DFID to the US. Now the US did just launch the, the new development corporation. Um, Australia, Chinese, a lot, a lot, and a lot is, is coming from the sort of the inst institutional investors, right? And it's been channeled into private, into the private sector. I think this says a lot, and I think it's some, let's say, to some extent, is is a positive shift in the sense that, you know, by building, by building internal capabilities, sorry, by by funding private entities, you sort of build the uh, internal cap capability and capacity, right, of sort of the teams and and and, and the management teams in in these countries. So these are the two, let's say the shift from sort of more development uh, assistance agenda narrative to the private and then also the arrival of the corporates. These are the two of the macro trends that, that we are seeing. And uh, largely, in theory, that goes very well for most startups and for the countries itself, you know, that, that there's more investments in value creation. Um, which which sounds excellent on, on a large scale. Um, looking kind of now to the micro level, looking at you know companies or startup founder themselves. Um, you know they're excited. They're hearing all this capital is coming to the content interest, which you know two hundred million dollars, and everybody you know loses their their marbles about that. But you know the, the truth is one point two seven billion dollars moving into the African ecosystem comparatively, it's still tiny. That's um, I was reading it two days ago. Mm -hmm. Yes, I was reading a report on there was a sort of bundle research with, with some of the VCs in, in Europe, not even in the States, in Europe. And effectively, Paris alone raised more in the last six months than the, the entire continent yeah. in 2019. London alone raised four times as much. But now there's a caveat that there needs to always be, you know, sort of put out there. The fact that a lot of capital doesn't, we, a lot of the research that goes across Africa is based on disclosed amounts. Well, that's true. Yeah. Not, there's, there's a huge amount of, of, of money that still gets moved and, and, and doesn't get to the, to, to the news, right, to the, to the headline. And so this is something that cannot be accounted for. And I do think account for a very large margin of error okay. in, in this. But at the same time, I mean, you cannot deny the fact that you can, the same thing happens in, in, in Europe, I guess, or in the States. So you get that amount of money being moved across London in six months, as opposed to the entire continent in, in um, you know, in, in, in the span of a year. A lot, a lot of, a lot of work still to be done, yes. So, so, you know, at, at least one can infer to some degree that there's still, and as it should be everywhere, you know, there's still hurdles towards getting funding from, from by Af 
African countries. In fact, um, I was actually also reading an article uh, that you referenced in by Forbes uh, about, you know, if you want to create a startup company in Africa, go to college, right? Um, and the specific thing that stood out to me was, I think it was 41% of the founders um, who had started companies in Africa um, were educated abroad outside Africa, you know? So is that like a, 41% may not seem like a big deal, but that's a, that's a fairly sizable number. Um, you know, things like CEOs, like CEO of Andela come out to my, both of them educated abroad. Um, what do you think are some of the hurdles? And it's like, oh, I got an education abroad. Is that one of the things you show your investors and say, hey, give me money now. I got an education abroad. Or how do you think that dynamic is? And what other hurdles do you think founders have? So when it comes to this, I have a very sort of defensive slash apologetic take towards Africa. Um, in the, we actually had a big discussion about the title of this article with the yeah. director. We, had, we, we, we discussed why um, we were putting that headline and uh, we were discussing on, on the article. So to start with, when we talk about startup, especially in the digital space, we're really referring to a tiny part of, of, of the economy, right? We're not looking into the size of the economy and the hundreds of thousands of entrepreneurs, hundreds of thousands of, um, you know, investors that you, that, that you see across the, the country at that specific time. Uh, give me one second, Dario. I may have lost you very briefly. Let's okay. see. Let me make sure I can hear you. Oops. Uh, do you mind unmuting on your end? Let's see. Can you hear me? Give me one second. Let me make sure. I can hear you. Huh. this is on give me half a second zoom is oh, there we go there we go i can now hear you. yes yes <laughs> where did you lose me where did you lose me uh, so i was about to switch off my notifications i accidentally hit uh siri and it went off but it was right about the last thing i heard was saying you know you're in a defensible position about this the article and then i i lost you okay so so what i was saying is it's very important to acknowledge the fact that when you discuss startups, when you talk about startups, you are, you are sort of extracting a very tiny piece of, of the economy. And this applies everywhere, right? Of course, I mean, applies everywhere. Of course, if you still consider Facebook a startup and, you know, Amazon a startup, but because they came out of the boom, then, you know, there's still a bit of, uh, of an imbalance. But when we're talking about SMEs and startups, we're still talking about a very tiny piece of the economy, right? Um, so when you talk about this, you need, to, you need to sort of have a bit of a system thinking, a global thinking, and uh, just look at how many people effectively are in tech in a normal economy, in a normal economy, in, in economy in general, right? Can be in an African country, can be an Asian country, can be in, Amer in America. Um, so, we are looking at the tiny portion of people that are highly skilled, usually. Yes. Um, our report, one of the most important takeaways, I guess, from our report is that business or STEM slash IT studies were the two go-to type of sort of curricula yes. that would be behind a lot of the founders, right? Um, the sort of the founder pursued before they, they enter sort of um, the, the business world. And so we're looking at highly skilled people, right? And so just saying that if you want to start a company, you have to 
go to go to college is a bit of a long shot because of a, a yeah. bit of a teasing, right? Uh-huh. Um, but if you look at um, you know um, any African country, a lot of the a lot of this tech. You know the the principle that apply to 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 the global scenario applies the same to to African countries, right? So we're looking at high highly skilled young people who probably got out of their coding schools or or the the MBA or the business degrees from Lagos or Cape Town or whatever, and then they've gone into uh, probably coming from somehow a above average in terms of sort of wealth. Uh, background, they right. were able to sort of pursue the, the let's say, entrepreneurship a safety net there. So, yeah, right. they probably have that safety net that allow them to sort of play around. This is that doesn't apply to everyone, of it course. Yeah. Uh, generalizing is always wrong, but but what's very important is that first, we're talking about a trend that's everywhere. So, we're talking about stra- startups, the startups, the startup world is not does not equal the entire economy. Second, we're talking about tech startup mostly. So we imply that whoever is behind these startups usually has a certain degree of um, knowledge of tech, the tech space, the finance space, the business, the business space, even sort of sales skills and, and, and all of this. And so that, that's why we're looking at specific, um, the specific portion of, 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 of the population and that's why what we've seen the the, the the reason behind the title is 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 much more likely that someone coming out of a degree such as college um, college sorry um, stem or it computer sciences or an mba or 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 just business study management studies is going to be like able to set up a system because companies you know setting up a company is not just about nailing the product it's about getting the admin right getting the team right being able to sell it being able to understand to show people how compelling the product is that are very there are there are many areas that need to be so the many boxes to be ticked right? so it just increases the likelihood that you have some kind of right and obviously obviously starting a bakery has probably got uh, less of a tech technological um, aspect to take care of right. and then starting a digital financial payment company because when you start a digital financial payment company you need to know about finance, you need to go about regulation, you need to know about cybersecurity, you need to know about how to make a transfer uh, safe and seamless. You know, there's, there's a lot of aspects that need to be taken into account and the technological component is what is not seen you know, across most of, sort of, in terms of skills across most of the population. This doesn't only apply to, to Africa, obviously. Yeah, it applies everywhere. Yes. What we have seen is that within the startup ecosystem, which, yes, is small, let's say the majority of the founders and the co-founders and executives have shown a certain background, educational background. Excellent. So now just focusing a little more on, you know, the, the process of getting funding. Um, you know, deal announcements are wonderful. So-and-so raised 8 million, so-and-so raised, you know, so many million series, whatever, A through F, whatever the case may be. That's the exciting part. But, um, you know, from personal experience, convincing somebody else to give you money for whatever the case may be, 
um, and, and to some degree at minimum altruistic because that person has to believe that or understand that they could lose the entirety of their investment if this, if this fails. Um, what do you think are some of the barriers that a lot of founders run into in that process of you know, raising funds? Specifically the Africa, right? Um, I mean, I guess, first of all, it, there's, there's, a, there's an issue with the availability of, of capital in general. So the availability of, of credit, the availability of uh, a seamless cash deployment mechanism. Mm -hmm. um, and when I, say seam, when I say seamless, I, I mean a non-problematic due diligence, transparency around data, transparency around performances. Like when, when investors need to do due diligence around, this has been very hot recently, around uh, info, logistics for informal merchants across the country. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not that easy. Yeah, those, those like Right. A lot of the companies are doing phenomenal work digitizing and datifying the distribution, right? The, the, the information within you know, across the distribution and how distribution works. And, or even like the companies that digitize saving, you know, saving circles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of hands-on work that has never been sort of datified. And we've been put into a digital trackable type of information that is not that easy. So, obviously, proving that you have a functioning, a functioning mechanism, a functioning product or a functioning system that you put in place, especially when you're trying to prove it to foreign investors who have probably never, we've seen many seed, pre-seed accelerators that come from abroad have never seen a country before or never seen a country enough to understand the dynamics. Yeah. And, so, and the, so, so yeah, just from a procedural point of view, I'm I'm not talking about you know the difficulty of you know the non-existence of cash per se, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm just really thinking of the procedural side. The yeah. diligence is, is very costly many 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 times. Uh, the history of exits and the history of success within startups across Africa uh, is not crystal clear to many, mm -hmm. which is exactly why companies like Brighter and, and, and other in the space are working on making information available across different, uh, different verticals, different areas. Just the fact of having a map that shows you that there are 500 companies in a sector, and maybe there are 800, maybe there are 1,200, but the very fact of looking at it, at it changes your perspective, right? And so I think it boils down to problems in the history of sort of success, uh, best practices across markets, whose dynamics kind of differ from from Western countries uh -huh. in in many ways uh, due to sort of I don't want to say inadequate regulation, but maybe non-comprehensive regulation that makes sort of allows for a lot of loopholes right and uh, the very procedural and operational sort of hardship of of, of the due diligence and, and and communicating with with people yeah. that's that's not that these are some of the the the, the problems and then we highlighted it you know you mentioned it before the amount of capital even just the disclosed one across africa is 
tiny compared to to the amount of money and 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 deal flow that is happening abroad so would you say the still the still i think is very much in the early stage i think you know the the ecosystem has been developing a lot in the last 10 years 10 years for many people is not even the term for 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 return on investment right Mm -hmm. i mean for many it is but you know, the, there's a lot of discussion on patient capital that, that have started maybe around mid-2010s, uh, right, 2015, and they're still waiting to see what is going to happen, right? So I think there's there's a need for, for a log uh-huh. that isn't quite there yet. And this will only be possible increase, by increasing the type of information that's out there, by increasing the transparency, by sort of making processes a bit sort of smoother than they are right now when it comes to procedure, when it comes to capital deployment, regulation. And yeah, I tend to I tend to look at this issue from a procedural point of view and an operational point of view, as opposed to sort of some conspiracy theories about how yeah. <laughs> risk 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 assessment, etc. Et yeah. So you, in many countries. So would you say the onus is, is it's a door onus, one on the firms and the startups themselves to, you know, make sure they're extremely aggressively documenting their data, making sure that when a firm comes and asks, they can say, hey, here's what we have based on what we can control. And then also on governments for ease of doing business so that at the end of the day, a, a startup knows what its expense is going to be under the regulatory, you know, here's what can change, here's what, just so they can evaluate the cost right of um of, of doing their business within a certain environment um, yeah, and also power relations i mean one of the one of the problems when when a market is saturated you have a problem of being able to tap into enough customers right when a market is not saturated and effective fertile and and ripe for disruption and ripe for new product products what you might find is is the cartels right doesn't have to in, in, in a bad sense, but in the sense of people that have been ex- established for, for, for decades into doing, a pro- into doing something and trying to disrupt that out of the blue and you're a bunch of like new, new founders that in, in, in best case, well, best case some, some cases, founders who've never really been living in this space, who don't know who the gatekeepers are, who the people who with, with access are, encounter problems. Which is not, not, is that always a bad thing necessarily? Because there's almost a bravery associated with the ignorance sometimes that is sometimes helpful in disruption. I think in the last, in the, I think in the last few, in the last year, we've seen problems in the bus service space. Mm. I want to mention names, but who's familiar in this, with the space has seen there have been problems because the government from one day to the other or sort of groups of established businesses from Monday to the other said, you know, this business is problematic. So they, you know, in Nigeria, there has been a ban on motor taxi. Yeah. Out of the blue, after two years of pumping money into the industry. Mm-hmm. Half of the companies that have been doing motor taxi in the Bodas and the Okadas in, in yeah. Nigeria have pivoted to e-commerce. Yeah. Uh, and somehow uh, now with with COVID, this seems to be actually the winning the a winning lucky, yeah. <laughs> a lucky break. <laughs> yeah. This is a bit of a bit of a winning paradox. But the same same things happen in in 
um, in Kenya with bus services that have seen a lot of issues with with with, uh, with banning with, with the bans, the government bans uh, in Nairobi. So this all, all all boils down to understanding the context. When someone says you need to understand the context because you need to understand who's there, you need to understand who you're disrupting, um, how, and have you got the power through is your business so powerful and is your business is your product so compelling to be able to really just wipe out the competition no discuss yes or no so i think there's a lot of areas that need to be looked at but again i am i i hardly look at africa a, a business a business and challenges as africa related right business has challenges everywhere cartels and existing businesses are there everywhere like this has been bans and government lobbying, you know, from the beginning of times. Of course, when there's more opportunity and less and less services, and when there's less sort of capital availability, and there's a rush to providing specific services, you could encounter problems. Because one second, two years ago in Nairobi, there were 25 ride-hailing companies. Now, how many do you see, right? Yeah. And uh, so. Yeah, I don't think it's it's necessarily Africa, you know, Africa-related problems. I think it's probably related to businesses. Yeah. Some contexts are sort of more fertile when it comes to to problems, uh, when it comes to challenges for entrepreneurs. Yeah, All right. All right. yeah it's it's always seemed like uh, almost it's always seems to me just outside looking and really that that's almost an argument for more capital. If you're going to fund a startup, make sure they're equipped to overcome whatever incoming hurdles are, because then on the other side of that is unlimited potential, pretty much for for expansion and growth and revenue growth, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but that it, it seems like the because of the other hurdles and the risk involved in the first place, that then reduces the ability of whatever founder to get to get capital. But it's an interesting dynamic I've seen many founders just struggle with and battle over the past couple of um, I personally knowing individuals who are affected by the riot hailing ban in Lagos and that just felt like came out of nowhere but um, you know you're you're absolutely right um, kind of shifting on to there's something I'd like to touch on that I I was I was reading about um, and I think it'd be remiss if I didn't mention it and specifically your your team addresses uh, women and fully 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 female founding teams, fully female funded uh, startups and how um, even moving on to this year that the, the, the amount of funding for uh, fully female uh, founded uh, startups has even reduced, has declined. Um, I'd like to understand a few things, you know, is there a, is there some kind of gap in terms of number of uh, women that uh, and, and, uh, people who identify as women that go into running starts on the African continent, and then why is there such a funding gap? I mean, there's a funding gap in the U.S. as well. That's also the truth. Um, but, you know, I thought that, I think the percentage I looked at was like 3% or something like that, which is, feels very, very low. Um, can, you, can you touch on that a little bit? Sure. So from a trend perspective, I would warn against um, making comparisons already simply because maybe there has been like 
the this this no causality in the fact that you know this 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 the, the capital gets allocated to to uh, a woman or a man we, we, we're trying to avoid reasoning in these terms mm-hmm. uh, and so thinking thinking that this in these last six months compared to last year there has been a shift it might be a bit of a long shot when it comes to determining yeah. um, the relations of causality maybe yeah. because in the next six months we'll see 10 percent like 10 times as much as much capital so choosing pick and choosing um sort of time frames right now could be simply could be a could could be risky when it comes to sort of choosing a, a an efficient methodology to understand how really the market is behaving right this said there are several issues around um female funded uh, companies um i don't want to be the the, the man talking on behalf of you know the, the main fan we've done a lot of work around this and uh, a lot of, we've had a lot of conversations uh, around it so for, first and foremost i will get i will go back to what i was saying before about the um, about the fact that we're talking about a very specific area uh-huh. we're talking about the startup ecosystem in this sense and what we are discussing right now is relatively sort of safe young people uh, or entrepreneurs who enter the space and just from a number point of view there have been less women involved in technology and 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 sort of mba type of um type of uh, studies and so this by the low numbers simply reduces the number of, of, of women who are involved in this space right one interesting finding though which is one of one of the the sort of the elements that the report wanted to put forward is the fact that there's nearly no difference in the the correlation between success um, and education or or funding and education for women and men in the sense that women who studied this went on to raise funding women who studied this went on to, in a sense and and if we are to to extract the relations of causality into this we could probably say that there is a specific type of background and education that is likely to lead you regardless to, of yours right, to have that type of success there are a million and a half factors that get involved culture personal life uh glass ceilings and a lot called you know culture and and simply investment bias investor biases etc etc so one cannot just say yeah you go study an mba you go to computer sciences but there is a correlation between this specific two types of sort of educational avenues and the success so because historically there have been less uh, women involved in this and this could be something that can can be very much criticized in the sense that one could say why have why is uh, the pipeline so yeah. um this is why we get this this number and this is from a num- from a uh, statistical point of view right and there's a more i guess contextual point of view and this is what we've uh, sort of learned from a lot of the conversation that we've had that, that there are inherent biases when it comes to funding women 
when it comes to trusting women. We've, we've been speaking to several friends who have told me I felt very inappropriate and very, very uncomfortable being in a boardroom with investors or, or just men, and it was me and my other female uh, co-founder or female colleague. Um, for brighter, like to me, this doesn't even click in my head, right? But this is in the sense, that obviously, this is not the way. It's not the way a lot of a lot of businesses now reason, but this is effectively. That's why I said I don't feel comfortable saying as 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 a man because I don't feel that when I jump when I get in the room and sit down, right? Um, but then the con more contextual, as I said, is is the fact that women get asked questions that men do not get, yeah. such as what is your plan for the next three years when a woman approaches the late 20s? Mm -hmm. Especially when it comes to getting an executive position, yeah. right? Yeah. What is, you, you know, are you planning to get married? Are you planning to have a child? Yeah. And, and, and this can be you know, extended to several, uh, all the fact that women uh, culturally in many places feel obliged or are actually incentivized Say softly or not softly, to discuss with the red, with the husbands about financial decisions in the household. Right. This is this is all uh, sort of arguments that have that have come up from our, you know, out of our conversation, and it's and and this is sort of a cultural bias that is taking a long time to sort of be overcome. Uh, we're seeing one of the things that we've done actually brighter was was uh, a map of female focus organization supporters yes. and we try to highlight like 200 250 of them across the continent and abroad who are working with female entrepreneurships in, in entrepreneurship in Africa this is uh, and the, the idea behind this was to, to, to show that there are organizations that effectively and try to reverse this this trend of less sort of less women involved in this or the fact that several women are finding harder than than a man to pursue a specific pathway without undergoing like significant criticism if not sort of obstacles right because what you get is uh, as a founder you already get obstacles men or women if there is a premium to the obstacles that you face because of you know your gender and because there are assumptions and prejudice around what your decisions and your behavior might be later on down the line instead of creating possible safety net if this was to be the case then it's obviously that's 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 that risk as that's the risk a factor that in the funding equation makes it harder for women to 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 raise in in an interview we were laughing about uh, calling it the f factor the female factor that one puts in the risk in the risk uh, analysis of whether if an an investment will happen or not and so there are several cultural and structural biases that need to be that need to be overcome in that sense so, um, yeah, like like you said, being a man, not having it being my lived experience, but it's something that you know I kind of have this podcast and talk about funding and and all the things going on in the African continent, and not just touch on at least you know generally what does it seem like. And I, I appreciate you explaining it 
um, in that manner. Um, and hopefully at some point in the future, we'll get to talk more about it, probably in a different format. Um, um, now, kind of moving moving along to uh, just sectors, rather. Um, now, um, I'm I must be honest with you. I came from that's uh, that's that school at some points where I felt, especially very early on, you know, when a lot of the larger founders on the African continent were just starting, and I was honestly quite annoyed by the over emphasis of fintech style uh cs style over tech style emphasis on um startups you know, on the african continent i felt like i felt like people were were solving or were trying to solve the problems that they could control the most about right so folks were you know very early on very few folks were going into logistics or into energy or into power or into infrastructure, any of the things that seem like the base problems that most African countries seem to have, right? Like the first step, you know, if they don't have water, I was going to buy your, you know, tech product. That's, that's the logic I had at the time. Um, however, there seems to be a little, a lot more of a split now as far as across industries and sectors in terms of funding, at least the funding reflects that to some degree. Um, my question is really, you know, could you talk more about the how come fintech is, you know, raising the 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 apparently it seems to be a gargantuan amount of funding on the African continent, and um, how are all these other players in logistics and and uh, you know renewable energies, how are those folks faring, and what do you see as a trend? You know, is fintech always going to be the part that raises the most money, or how is that going to change? I mean, financial technology is globally one of the largest recipient of, of, of investment okay. and it is often so because the payment is is really the means like the the, the, the ex money exchange is the engine that allows any type of exchange in society right so economics 101 so when it comes to markets such as African markets where largely cash-based societies with an extremely low degree of security checks, identity checks, um, traceability and trackability of, 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 of exchange um, that has crippled sort of the, 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 the collection of money for the fiscal policy for governments that you know, have not been able to um, sort of trace and collect enough funds to deliver the service, public services, et cetera, et cetera. In, in markets where the situation is like this, where, where, where there's so much uh, opportunity to disrupt, I hate using the word disrupt, but effectively to innovate and, and provide more um, sort of more efficient services and more efficient means to allow for this money exchange, then that's where a huge opportunity for investment is, for, 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 for opportunity to do something is, and opportunity then to invest in, in, in these um, new solutions. And I could mention a few. Um, digital financial services and financial technology effectively become a proxy for, for a significant number of satellite services, such as identity services, credit scoring, um, security and safety 
geolocation, right? Census services, um, behavior. So consumer behavior, understanding patterns. So the opportunity to effectively switch from a largely cash-based society to one that is digitized, hence traceable, hence analyzable, mm-hmm. is immense, right? And, and now we're, we're doing a lot of work around COVID and around the impact on COVID. And we're talking to a lot of startups in financial services. And, and what we're seeing is effectively this, that they, they say COVID that has paralyzed this cash-based society is now representing a huge opportunity for digitizing services. And the digitization of services can then trickle down to a number of benefits, societal benefits, yeah. that will that will likely be long lasting, right? And and that's why we're seeing this a lot across several several um sectors. You know, and uh yeah, I mean that the, there's a very fertile ground to innovate and to make uh, these exchange better, especially for instance, we're talking about a let's say societies where it, like economies where eighty percent, seventy percent, but let's say even half of the population has no bank account, yeah. which is something that doesn't really happen in in in, in the West, right? Um, what we are seeing is the opportunity for these for these unbanked people to now have a traceable, organized, um, safe tool to store their money, right. right? So a lot of the companies that are coming up are the card card um, solutions, right? The companies providing cards, company providing affordable point of sales right companies providing e-wallets and cards usually going hand in hand companies providing a credit score that is based on the digital history regardless of it being a financial history or the digital history of buying airtime and paying bills on mpesa or paying bills or simply other other um sort of us ussd or sms based uh, technology and what happened in turn is you earn an organized tool that allows you to then ask probably for for a loan or ask or that puts you in you know able to to, to make makes you able to approach a lender or a real estate company if you want to get a get a house or something or get any type of asset right motorbikes there are there are fantastic companies now that are doing financing for assets mm. and a lot of this financing is based on technology systems that they put in place to be able to tr- track and evaluate the behavior of specific customers mm. and and that's why i'm saying like financial technology effectively trickles down to a number of of areas that are crucial right now the unbanked population and the fact that now the unbanked population is able somehow to have a log of expense, uh, a bit of financial literacy, a bit of accountability for the authority in the sense that they are able to evaluate the behavior of the specific person, even if this person hasn't got a bank account 
or a decades old uh, financial history. So I guess this is why financial technology right now represents an extremely important um, phenomenon. So financial technology is a phenomenon. So the, 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 the expansion of financial technology. Gotcha, gotcha. That's, I appreciate that perspective. I never really thought about it that way into how it pretty much trickles into everything. And, and, um, yeah, that was excellent. Thank you very much. Sorry, I'm, I'm <laughs> reflecting on it even as we speak right now. Excellent. Now, huh, man, I feel so bad for all the bad things I said about the guys in FinTech firms. Um, um, if my listener, any of my listeners is running a FinTech firm, I deeply apologize. Um, I'll find something else to, to, to get at you for. Um, so, excellent. I think, I think kind of a lot of the major questions I've had, we've, we've kind of gone around. Um, I'd like to ask you a little more specifically about, you know, the work you're doing brighter. Um, brighter intelligence. If you want to talk specifically more about brighter intelligence and what you want that to grow into your grand vision, you know, 10 years down the line, you know, maybe instead of saying, you know, Mr. Bloomberg will be saying Mr. Giuliani, what is, what is the long-term play for you here? There's a lot of pressure in being Mr. Bloomberg, so I'm not sure I'm ready. <laughs> not, not that one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Mr. Bloomberg can surely come and ask me if I want to collaborate as a founder of Brighton, but I'm not sure. So I always shy away from questions around 10 years, five years um, perspective. Surely the bet that I made with myself and with Brighter is the fact that these markets are, ex ex are growing extremely fast. And there are dozens of businesses that get set up every day or every week. And this and, and more capital being allocated, more people uh, getting to know the opportunity in, in, in virtue of the work that you do and the work that I do, right? There are many other people too, to, to showcase this opportunity. Um, and so we're not likely to see markets slow down and business intelligence is a, a need in the sense that represent that initial sort of in, in, in initial uh, element that then allows decision making to happen, right? And so, well, first, Brighter it wasn't born as an Africa-focused uh, company. Okay. Brighter is looking to serve underserved markets and that sort of go hand in hand with their developments in the business opportunity. Uh, over the next few years and, and contribute to that by providing more insights to the people who are interested in doing business with it. So we actually started doing work in South Asia last year. Um, not Southeast Asia, mainly South Asia. We work in Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, Pakistan, uh, a bit of India, um, a bit of Iran. And so the idea is to sort of snowball to other regions. So we already started relations with uh, with Latin America and Middle East. Mm -hmm. And the idea is to sort of go the so-called South-South for the moment, because there's a lot of synergy that can be built. And so over the next, let's say, two to three years, the idea is to consolidate this and to make brighter one of the points of I, I don't, I'm not that kind of founder that says, we're gonna take over the world and we're gonna to go to the moon and like, this is gonna control 150% of, of the market share. What I think is that Brighter has an opportunity in light of the brand that we've been building and trust that we've been building to actually uh, be one of the key providers of information and the early, early on key providers of information 
while the markets are still very early and very strong, adolescent, uh, to, to uh, as I said, to be one of the providers of, of business information or investment opportunities um, across these markets. And this is the, um, the agenda. Like I like to very much to be practical and, and realistic about the agenda. This is what we are doing. This is what we are working on. This is the partnership that we are establishing. We'll be looking to establish a lot of partnership with sort of satellite organizations that effectively, um, how do you say, that they work in complementary areas to, to Brighter. Um, but like this is, this is the agenda. 10 years, I'm not sure. I'm very convinced that in 10 years there will be commercial um, space travel. So I want to be in, <laughs> in one of, in one of the cars. Yes, yes, yes. That's what I want to do. So <laughs> that's that's my focus for ten years, but it's not much related to brighter. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much. I think you know. Are there any other things you wanted to touch on that you think I didn't cover or question about? I always think it's important to ask that. Uh, I mean, I would ask you the question. I would ask you what is uh, what what is your five year plan like behind behind sort of the podcast and everything that you're doing. Um, so that's fantastic question. I, I also struggle with five year, 10 year plans. Um, on the personal level, that's fairly easy, but on the, um, media level, you know, so I think I see it going one of two or three ways. Um, the first way is that it continues to be what it is, which is, um, reflecting African perspectives. I'd like for this to almost figure out a way to almost franchise it out so we have like Fonse Rafka, Kenya that's you know specifically Kenyan stories just specifically reflecting all coming into one, under one general brand of Fonse Rafka. Um, the, the second way that that and then that essentially just becomes this large accumulation of like African stories that's just this huge collection of African stories. For me this podcast started largely as I wanted to collect things so for the first couple of months after I recorded episodes, I can it was just, oh, wow, I have all these great stories that I can really listen to that I thought were, were awesome. Um, but then I said, okay, let me put it on a platform and have it in a place. And my goal was to, I think my three-year goal was to have 100 listeners a week. Um, we've far outpassed that. Uh, grateful for, for that, that. And it still remains in that format. Um, we're definitely going to be trying over the next couple of years to really confirm, to convert this into something that generates revenue or generates more revenue than it currently does um, because I think I spent too much time in the passion project mentality that, hey, there's this cool thing I really like to do and I enjoy it and it brings me so much joy. Um, so, so that's also something that we can spend the next couple of years. The other way this could go is that this then converts into some form of um, journal about running uh, firms on the African content that's very, um, intimate so like an audio journal of you know hey here's what it's been like to be a founder here are the realities um here's what it's like to be a small market owner in you know lecky market in, in lagos um i think that that might be an interesting perspective so maybe this converts converts into that um i do a lot of networking on purpose just so i try to like you know i want to know all the folks that are going to be the founders in the next five ten years before they become the founders um, and then the last way this could go is that um, we license or sell all the content content to like the BBC and they, we just have them put it out as a, okay, you know, here are some stories and, and episodes and have some agreement where we continue to produce content and we have a wagon that they can license it and put it out. 
Um, so those are the kind of three ways I've been looking at it. Um, as you've probably noticed, they're all framed around this idea of continuing to accumulate stories over time. Um, now, of course, the next two years, as, you, as I mentioned earlier, are going to be fairly busy in my life. So uh, figuring out how that transition happens. We have, we have team members, we're gonna add some more that will help us even through that process. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's a three-year plan for, for this um, podcasting. You know, my, central, my central expertise and skill sets are on infrastructure and development and things of that nature. That's largely where I'd like to focus my, if I was gonna throw my life at one risk, that's where it would be. Um, but this is a good second career to have. I was reading something a couple of years ago that you should always have two careers at the same time. Um, so this is my second career. So um, we'll see which one wins out. Uh, but yeah, that's my. You said what? Or more. <laughs> or more. Or more. Or more. Or more. Yeah. Everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. So. Ooh, awesome. Yes. 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 Um, one final question: If you were to make uh, an optimistic case, you know, you talked very early on about, you know, it's a blue, it's a, it's a blue ocean. You know, there's lots of opportunity, lots of values to be created, lots of problems to be solved. Um, if you were to make an optimistic case, there's somebody listening on the phone that's like, oh, man, I want to start a company in Africa, but I'm not sure. If you were to make an optimistic case for why that should, why they should do it, or why an investor maybe should, should invest in an African company, um, what would be the case for that? I mean, I would build upon what I said earlier. I, I do believe this. You cannot see me. I forgot that in the afternoon, there's the sun behind my head. <laughs> That's why I had to close everything. I just just mis mismanaged the time for this. So I would really, I would, I would really build on on what I said earlier. There's a lot of opportunity for creation and for creativity across every industry. It doesn't have to come from abroad. This, this, this opportunity period, this opportunity to build coloring companies, the opportunity to build cold chain, this opportunity to, to facilitate border, border uh, solutions, border, border control, and, and just in general, the processes for, for um, international cross-border exchange. There is just about opportunity everywhere. And because these markets don't see the existence of several well-established players, there is a lot of like in, in, informal or a few like um, let's say veterans organization that have been doing the same. But there's a lot of opportunity to actually um, just innovate a lot of services. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about uh, technology specifically here, but there's there's really a lot of opportunity to um just provide even just you you are into in, in infrastructure and development right there's a lot of opportunity for uh industries to start producing internally um have a, a good friend who's um who's working on a ghanaian produced chocolate mm. that exports in in, in uh, abroad same thing another friend who's uh building a textile company that produces in um in africa uh, in ghana again and exports abroad so actually gets that extra value from 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 the sort of cost of the product abroad but then 
sort of really focusing the production and all the the value the value chain right within the, the country and then getting the best out of the sales by selling it to markets that have more purchasing power and this can this really can happen um everywhere i think one of the most important is education i think there's a lot of need for uh better more sort of applied education especially now that we're entering a world where like even if you have two master degrees, you still struggle to get a job and you're 30. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is just the way the world is because there's disruption across the job market globally in places where education still is not even at that high standards when it comes to the large numbers. There's even more opportunity to work on that. So one of the things that I'm most keen on when it comes to sort of personal interest. Um, but yeah, just really, as I said before, there's, there's a lot of opportunity in, in many sectors. It's just about working on creating viable products and, and, and viable you know viable services mingling with the ecosystem and understanding how to build it not just superimposing you know external models and seeing how they develop yeah excellent excellent thank you for that final question final question i promise uh, and i always try and balance out the optimistic case with the pessimistic case the bear case for it uh, and just to share something with you before you go into that, I was reading, I was on watching, like, I think CNBC, and they called the American stock market now a kangaroo market. And I just thought that was hilarious. But uh, we're from beer to bull, now kangaroo. Anywho, uh, what is the beer case for, for, for um, investing and, and investing time, resources, whatever the case may be, your effort, your career in, in uh, an African venture? I think the bear case is the the bear case for investment goes hand in hand with commitment, um, especially if we're talking about new investors or, or external investors. If you're not sort of committed, and if you're not if you're not passionate and 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 knowledgeable about the space that you're entering, be very careful with allocating your money because investment has never been just like chucking money into a sort of magic, uh, you know, a, a magic plant, a magic flower that's gonna just blossom by itself. And especially right now, there's very uncertain times with the disruption of, of several business models. We still don't know how the behavioral change will affect, um, <clears throat> will affect this, uh, you know, this specific models. So I would say the bear case goes hand in hand with how committed any specific investor is, how hands-on you are, how, how willing to, to take the risk and go with it. Yeah. Try to learn from it and, and, and overcome it, right? Because if you just go throwing money thinking that they will return <clears throat> or will return even larger amounts, I think you're committing already a mistake and this is not even the bear case, but this is what I would, I would say from, I mean, I'm not a macroeconomist. I'm not, you know, I, I don't like as much as I don't like to forecast for my own life, which is what I have control over. Right. I'm definitely not forecasting for other markets <clears throat> or for 54 markets, right. In, 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 in itself. So I would say really be, focused on, on the investment and be committed not from a financial perspective but from sort of a holistic perspective be committed when it comes to strategy to risk taking 
to resilience, understanding that things can go wrong and take five years longer. And five years is a long time for seeing things that float and things that don't skyrocket because you run bored, you, 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 you grow bored of your, uh, of your project. Especially if it's not yours, you're just putting money into it. Excellent. Well, fine, sir. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Um, please stay on for a few minutes after I sign off. Um, do you want to say any final words to our listeners? I don't know. I think the listeners have already been listening to an hour of my <laughs> <laughs> the very precarious wisdom. So I think I think it's it for my end. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you, listeners. Um, Dario, are there places you would like our listeners to be able to find you? Uh, well, yeah, if, uh, we just launched the new, the new platform. So I guess on top of Bright Bridges website and our, and our maps, um, we're just testing out this new tool that's basically interactive, an interactive platform that digitizes everything that we've been doing so far and allows crowdsourcing, allows you know, playing around with data um so yeah on 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 so we're pretty much on every social media on planet uh but tiktok <laughs> but we are uh but maybe we'll land on tiktok as well come for us all the <laughs> we never know there you go but uh, but yeah no thanks for the opportunity as well and uh you know it's actually the first part of the jump on in my life yes, yes. <laughs> good good i'm i'm but but here's the bet i'm taking i'm taking that i'm going to do a whole bunch of interviews with a lot of people who you know fairly recently started ventures are having success going so and then 10 years later they become wildly successful and i can point hey remember the time i got you was on the podcast so you have a lot you have a lot of work to do to not disappoint me basically i call you when i get that ticket to the to mars yes yes <laughs> call me when you get the ticket to mars let me know if i can get a discount um well excellent um diary thank you so much thanks for listening in listeners we thoroughly enjoyed having that conversation we hope you enjoyed listening to it as well we have a news update coming for you next week, breaking, taking a break from our two-week cycle to, to bring the news forward to you as quickly as possible. Please stay tuned for that, and we look forward to hearing from you soon. Please, any of our listeners, if you happen to be on the Clubhouse app or any of the new social medias via audio, please feel free to follow me via my name, really, and we look forward to setting up conversations on there as well. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and happy holidays ahead.